Welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here today, Trung Fan, Jack Butcher, and Bilal Zaidi. And we've got a special guest for the World Cup, Joe Pompliano. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, guys. That's pretty uh, pretty solid intro there. You must have done that a couple times. I've done it. A few, I think I've done it 87 <laughs> times. So <laughs> I love it. Well, look, man, we, we're good, glad to have you on. We wanted to do a, a World Cup special. I mean, we could have done it last week, but we wanted to like let things kick off, let it marinate so we can start celebrating all the crazy results. England already won 6-2. Um, it was an upset today when we were recording this. Argentina got beaten by the Saudis. So to kick off meme of the week, Trung, you want to share what we got here? Yeah, I don't even know this is a meme of the week. This is just so. Wait, Saudi Arabia, Joe, you're the you're the football expert. This is an upset. Can we confirm this is an upset? Argentina is one of the favorites from it's your video. It's definitely an upset. They were plus like twenty five hundred before the game. So. Okay, so here we go. Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, and it, it, it resulted for the listeners in one of the funniest celebrations I've ever seen. <laughs> So these guys are going ham, so but dude, in the background for the lift for the uh, listener, this dude took off the door. Where's he what taking the door, man? Where's he taking? What? No, no. And, and how did it come off so easily? Yeah. Yo, it's that's good boy. Content. It was staged. Yeah. Right? He's like, next thing you know, they got the air conditioner. Yo, somebody take the air conditioner out. Just all the all the Incredible. appliances have been loosened up. But I mean, to, to Joe's point, massive upset. So I actually just pulled up. Uh, the biggest upsets ever here. And uh, we'll, we'll remember some of these ones. But, uh, well, off the top of your head, what do you guys think are the biggest upsets on World Cup history? history? Ones You're saying World Cup, like actual football, yeah. soccer. I don't remember sure. one bigger than this. I don't, Honestly, I don't even remember it. Oh, I just yeah. remember the Euros, Greece winning the yeah, whole tournament. Oh, yeah, say, that yeah. was... The, the, the entire tournament yeah remember, dude so vancouver has oh, a pretty uh greek community so. as i'm sure everywhere dude that that day was at, you rolled down you rolled down <laughs> in like little greece like little athens and it was just mayhem right yeah. um but yeah I'll, I'll throw a couple out here before we uh get into the business of football and uh joe did an amazing youtube video about uh Cutter, I believe it's pronounced Cutter. I've been told by a lot of like people that travel a lot. It's like trunk, you're wrong. It's it's pronounced Cutter. I, uh, I, Qatar. I roll with Qatar, and that's yeah. that's good enough. <laughs> uh, so I'll just throw out a couple here. So the U.S. beat the U.K. in 1950. That was apparently a big one, one nothing. Uh, North Korea. I like beat that you Italy. said that straight away. Trying to let me jump. No. <laughs> North Korea beat Italy. One nothing. Wait, that has got North to be Korea? the biggest upset ever. 1966. So that like, was in the World Cup. As in well. the World oh, Cup. Damn. Was that was that legit? Like that was a legit win. That was. That sounds like um, a Kim Jong Un yeah, yeah. to me. His, his 18 hole golf story. Y'all heard that one? Yeah. <laughs> he had a hole in one on every. Yeah, on every, yeah. On every hole. Yeah. So actually, this one apparently is real. Uh, this this is probably the one I do actually remember from this list. Uh, it's from Yahoo Yahoo's words. I don't remember any of these. Uh, I remember two thousand and two, uh, Senegal beating France one nothing because Senegal was using oh, a former was a French one. colony. Yeah. yeah, you guys remember that? that and, and France had won nineteen ninety eight. So uh, that that's all I got to add. Oh, one more thing about the Saudi. Uh, winning Argentina. They announced a national holiday, which is incredible. That's incredible. Oh, um, Dude. this is this is this is not a upset result. But you remember Henri Ireland? Oh, with the handball. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys saw that, but I think it was maybe the qualifying, and uh, Thierry Henri, the goat. 
the goal of Arsenal and Premier League, he uh, he scored a goal definitely with his hand. It was like clear handball. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, no, 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 no. And then everyone's like, what are you doing? And I think it was the last minute and the island didn't make it to the World Cup or something like that. It was it was quite Tragic. a big deal. Tragic. People hate him for a long time after that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, the one that I, I did want to actually share one meme in a week, though, since we're here, just to just to finish us off here. Uh, one second here. Uh, this was from our boy Parik Patel today, because after Messi lost against the Saudis, this is so joke. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> So good, so good. So yeah, for people who are only listening, there's a, it says Messi before and after playing Saudi Arabia. The first one, just a picture of a goat. And then the second one is a picture of a, I'm how would you describe that's a goat. A roasted goat? I'm guessing that's a goat on top of <laughs> yeah. a fire being roasted. But the guy's face is like, incredible. It's so good. Oh my good. That, that's A+. Plus. That's, a, that's a plus. That's excellent. Um, anyway, so I guess Joe, I mean, just to kick it off, I mean, what is going on? You you did an amazing 18-minute video on Qatar, the whole World Cup, the bid, and people should definitely go check that out. But, like, what is the kind of summary here? Because I think there's two parts. There's, like, the good and the bad. There's been a lot of, like, negativity and, and bad stuff that people have been reporting about. Um, and I, I think from your video, I saw you said something like, it was 14 times more expensive. This is going to be 14 times more expensive than the last... Well, the most second most expensive World Cup in Brazil. So, yeah. like, how the hell are you spending that much more? And and what's the kind of verdict from all the research you ended up doing? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, long story short, there was a lot of corruption that went into it. Right? They ended up getting the rights to the tournament. That includes everything from they spent like uh, when this happened, when the the tournament was awarded in 2010. So we're now you know 12 years later. Uh, when it happened, the U.S. put a bid up for the tournament. They spent about five million dollars. I think it was on their bid. Uh, that's Qatar not going to do it. Qatar spent 200 million on their bid. <laughs> right? yeah, so it's just probably like, 5 million for the actual bid and then 195 for, for uh, well, under the table. Well, well, the thing with Qatar too, was they weren't even like just paying people from the state. The media networks were given TV contracts out. Like there was a bunch of bribery and corruption and other stuff that was going on. So it's impossible really to calculate kind of how much was actually given for this. And then they just came over the top with, yeah, to your point, $220 billion investment into it. Uh, which the the next closest from a World Cup perspective was 15 billion, uh, I believe Brazil. So it's like, how can you even spend that money, right? They, they, there's only eight stadiums, seven stadiums, whatever it is. Uh, what what gets kind of tricky is they have this like 2030 vision plan, right? They're they're like future look for the country, and they include all of that in their World Cup bid. So the whole idea was that it would be done before 2030. This would like kickstart them and like a new look for the country. And uh, they built hotels, they built like a metro line that connects all the stadiums, they built a bunch of stadiums themselves. Every single one of them is getting knocked down after the World Cup, except for one. So it's like, does that really count for the future of the uh, of the country? Uh, I'm not sure, right? They, they obviously built hotels and stuff. Uh, but to me, it just seems kind of like a waste of money and that they're, they're probably just buying the tournament uh, with a bunch of kind of infrastructure play too. Wait, Joe, so I, I just want to say the amazing part of Joe's video, which I saw was, could you talk through the the fan 
uh, 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 infrastructure they built because they expected. So the population is what 1.8 million, and they're expecting another basically two million people in and out of the country. Too much. So, like the fan village trunk. Yeah, the fan village, and also they had looks like well, They have like uh, <laughs> they have cruise ships like docked for people. Like, could you explain like some of like how they're accommodating two million people? Yeah, I think they actually, I don't know the exact number, but they built like a ridiculous amount of hotels. Like I want to say like 50 to 100 hotels, like an absurd number of hotels to build. Uh, some of that's obviously for like media. FIFA staying in like a super nice hotel. Obviously the players are staying in nice hotels. Uh, but fans, you, if you didn't get a hotel in time, there's uh, villages for the fans that are basically sitting outside each stadium. And yeah, they look like the the fire festival. They're like... <laughs> Tents, their shipping containers. So everyone was wondering last year, like, why are we having a shipping container shortage? Qatar had all the damn shipping containers. <laughs> Literally, they were just building out uh, these fan villages with thousands of shipping containers. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like pretty bare bones. It's what you would expect. It's almost like camping kind of. But there's like restaurants, supermarkets, like uh, there's even a Starbucks in some of them. They look like, to be honest, decent. They're not like what you would expect, I guess, when you're paying two, three, four, five hundred dollars a night to stay somewhere. Uh, and I don't even know if they even have AC and it's obviously 90, hundred degrees there. So that's probably the bigger problem. Uh, but yeah, like they have cruise ships, they have hotels, they have fan villages. It's a small country. It's really small. So in the video I talked about, um, the size of the country, I think it was 850 something of them, like 850 or 855 could fit inside the United States. So Qatar is smaller than like 48 us States. It's tiny. And you're basically bringing the, yeah, the biggest global sporting event ever, uh, to the country and you have more people coming in than you have actually living there. So you have to do something and they don't want obviously all this permanent infrastructure there forever. People aren't going to be living there. Uh, so they constructed these like makeshift fan villages. And then Joe, you, you kind of talked about it a little bit in the video, but as an actual football fan like myself, the, the most annoying part for me was, well, obviously that we're going to get onto like worker conditions and the kind of like ethics stuff in a minute. Um, but just like in terms of football, it kind of interrupted the whole season for like the Premier League, Bundesliga, etc. And this is the first time I think they've ever done this before. So normally the World Cup's in the summer. Growing up, Jack, I'm sure you remember this as well, like school's out. You're, everyone's yeah, like able to watch the games because it's during the day or whatever. And uh, it just, again, like obviously things change and things evolve, it's fine. But it felt like they were really moving things around for them because obviously it's going to be crazy hot in the summer there so they're playing it in in i guess their winter and uh, even the stadiums apparently have acs set up within the actual stadium itself to help and it's still crazy hot so um yeah is there anything else on like that that you dug into and you're like this seems a little fishy that they were even able to get that over the line well, that was why no one expected them to get the tournament, right? It's like, it's, you know, the World Cup's 100 years old. It's never been played in, in anything but June and July. And uh, you award it to Qatar, it's 110 degrees average temperature in the summer. You can't play it there. It's way too hot. Um, so they had to make the change and it's, it's interrupted the whole schedule. There's obviously people sitting out that uh, are injured or hurt. It's uh, forced other leagues to take a month off, basically, or more. And uh, it's disrupted like the whole flow of, of how the sport is supposed to go. And I think the other interesting thing is, is that we've seen, they're basically just like making up rules as they go. And uh, FIFA is just like going along with it because the tournament's already like started and there's nothing else they can do. Like, I'm sure you guys saw the whole beer situation where mm -hmm. uh, literally 48 hours before the tournament, they just said, hey, we're no longer going to sell beer. Budweiser had already shipped everything there. Like it was done. And they just pulled the plug. And it's like, this was in the works for, 
12 years, there's no way you can convince me that that wasn't pre-planned. Like there's no way- yeah, Two weeks they before were, they decided yeah. to change oh, their mind. Just a rug yeah. on the, yeah, when it's too late. <laughs> they, just, they just rug pulled all the beer. Like they're just like, no beer. And what you got actually, the FIFA, the, the FIFA president's like, you know, if you can't drink beer, if you can't hold off on beer for three hours, you probably have a problem. It's like, bro, that's not the point. <laughs> that's <laughs> not the point. point. You can start judging me, FIFA president. <laughs> yeah, but also, seriously. But also apparently in the, in the suites, they are serving alcohol. So like if you're, the you're, you're staying, if you want to pay $20,000 to watch a, a game, yeah. It was yeah, something Leo, absurd. I'm yeah. sure Leo, Leo is going to have access. Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and uh, Lewis Hamilton, when they roll down there, they're going to have access to alcohol. They'll be having a Bud Light, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Bud Light. Wait, so Joe, yeah. did, you, uh, did you actually talk through, so Budweiser, one of the largest, like one of the title sponsors or tier two or three. So they, how much money did they put into it? What's kind of been the resolution from them getting rug pulled? And could you talk through the actual economics for FIFA for hosting this event? Yeah. So the easiest way to think about Budweiser, uh, my understanding of it is that they basically pay like a flat fee for each World Cup cycle and it increases you know, as the tournament gets, gets, uh, uh, further dated out. But I think right now it's between 75 million and hundred million, somewhere in there, there's some deliverables and stuff like that. But the, the general thought is that they're the official beer sponsor, right? It includes, uh, marketing stuff alongside that with TVs, commercials, wow, print, all that stuff. They're the only beer that's supposed to be sold in stadiums, uh, and so forth. So they pay that directly to FIFA. Um, I don't think, I don't, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what the contract looks like, but I find it hard to believe that, uh, there's not going to be some kind of, uh, uh, aftermath or after, yeah. Like, <laughs> but then again, the other point is they probably got a shit ton more marketing out of this and they yeah. were just selling beer in the stadium. So I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult to tell, but they came out and they said, you know, try to get some additional PR out of it and said, we're going to donate all the beer to the winning country. And that's hilarious. Unless Saudi Arabia wins. What is it called? Under Cutter wins or Saudi Arabia? Might as well just send the beer to the US. Then it would just be for the royal family. Sorry, I should keep my mouth shut. But anyway, sorry. I was like, oh, yo, editor, cut that. He wants to go back to the UK one day. Wait, so. Go on, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say, so Joe, okay, so you talked about Budweiser specifically, but can you talk through the uh, FIFA, the money they're getting for every cycle and how that's kind of, we'll, we'll assume a lot of it going out is corruption involved, but what what's that kind of look like? How much are they getting? Like if you're FIFA, like what's the money in money out? Like what's that look like? Yeah. So FIFA reportedly, uh, again, this is all like, uh, self-reported to some extent. So it's difficult to tell what's same auditors uh, what's... as FTX, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The <laughs> big four accounting firm in the metaverse, apparently. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they, they claim that they, they bring in about like $200 million a year in sponsorships. That's during non-world cup cycles during okay. world cup cycles. It's obviously bigger. Uh, the broadcasting deals are, are multi-billion dollar broadcasting deals. Um, you know, so soccer is obviously the biggest sport in the world. It's it's uh, a few billion people watch it or fans of it, et cetera. It's the biggest sporting event in the world, the World Cup. So they make a ton of money on it. I think the thing that's interesting is FIFA uh, implemented a rule a while ago where the same continent can't hold the World Cup in consecutive cycles, right? So now it has to switch. So when the US gets it, it can't be in the US the following cycle, et cetera. So they opened up the door where now there's actually less bids being submitted because if you're on that continent, you can't submit another bid, right? If you're in Europe, you another European country, you have to wait another four years. Uh, so last one, I think that there was only like three or four bids. It was like the US uh, when Qatar got uh, picked, sorry. It was like the US, Qatar, Australia, and like North or South Korea or something like that. 
So you're really limiting the options. <laughs> and then you, North and or then, South Korea, that's it, exactly, <laughs> one right? of the two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like, uh, so you're limiting the options and then you, the voting system works, it opens up the door just to bribe people. So you get in this weird space where uh, you can quickly see how votes can get out of control. And I know you guys, we were talking about before this, watched the Netflix documentary or at least started to watch it. And like, it's very clear. I mean, people are in jail now. The one thing that was kind of sort of annoying about the Netflix documentary, I think, is that uh, they basically about just FIFA, gave, like, about FIFA, just to confirm. The yeah, Netflix about talk, FIFA, okay. yeah. Yeah, was uh, they basically just gave Seth Blatter like a platform to tell his story. And he's like the only one that's not in jail out of everyone, which is like pretty weird, too. Uh, when he obviously had some some dealings and uh, uh, it's rumored that he was paid kind of just as much, if not more than a lot of these other people. And then the first, the tournament starts and you get the guy saying, uh, you know, the new president, I feel Qatari, I feel uh, like a migrant worker, I feel gay, I feel all these things. And it was just a meme by itself, right? Like, why are you saying all this? Uh, But then the first match, he's sitting with MBS. (laughs) It was like, dude, we know where the next one's going to be held. (laughs) Like, That's such a great point regarding the Netflix doc. I didn't, I actually was, I was watching it like uh, while doing other stuff. So I didn't, uh, but now that you mention it, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're like, yeah, FIFA's a mafia family and Sep used to be the the head of it. (laughs) This guy's the only guy not in jail. And he's like the number one interviewee. That is actually kind of wild, man. I mean, this is like the number one monopoly in the world, right? Like you have control over this thing that so many people care about as long as you have control of that you can get away with the most ridiculous shit it's just in the i I mean so the ioc the international olympic committee doesn't even compare to this right i think uh well definitely the winter one doesn't i know summer makes a lot more money but i guess they're kind of in the same i think even beyond money though because there's like the money directly attributed to being in a country but then there's the goodwill and like the feeling that and that like Essentially, the sports washing that can happen, which we've talked about on the show before. Let's but. talk about the sports washing, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, uh, uh, let me tee up the one thing that I'll say about it, because I saw from a Netflix show while I was doing other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the really famous example, obviously, of sports washing uh, for people that aren't familiar is 1936. That's the example they use in Netflix. That's when Berlin and Adolf Hitler hosted the Olympics. But then uh, but Jesse Owens, American Good old Jesse Owens stuck a massive middle finger to Hitler and the the Aryan race. But anyways, 1936 was uh, kind of the iconic version of sports washing where a country hosts one of these large events to make their reputation look better than it is. And then obviously four years later, we had World War II. So that is probably, that will never be topped as like the worst example of using a big sporting event to wash a country's reputation. But in the World Cup, the example they use is uh, 1970 Argentina. Uh, that's when Argentina hosted the World Cup. They had transitioned from, uh, a, I wouldn't call it democracy, but they had transitioned from like a liberal type of country to under a military dictatorship. And during the uh, that 1978 World Cup itself, like really, really sketchy shit was happening. Like not even sketchy, it was awful. Like people were getting abducted, thrown into the ocean. And this is all happening with uh, political prisoners uh, near the stadium. And uh, Argentina actually ended up winning that tournament, but nobody remembers that tournament for Argentina winning. Remember for the fact that a military dictatorship uh, was operating and running that. So that was like in the Netflix um, uh, series, the first episode, they're talking like that's when FIFA kind of took this darker turn, which is, you know, kind of sad, but I'll throw it back uh, uh, to Joe because Joe, you we haven't had a chance to talk about some of the the human rights issues around uh, the Qatari bid and uh, what's been happening there. 
Yeah, I, I think most people are probably aware that uh, human rights are, are somewhat of an afterthought in uh, certain portions of uh, Qatar and Saudi Arabia and stuff like that, right? And we've seen over the last few years uh, a big investment from these countries in sports. If you talk about not only the World Cup, uh, but live golf, Formula One holds a race in um, in Saudi Arabia every year. Uh, Ramco is the title sponsor. They're the highest paying sponsor. Formula One is the, as the entity, uh, WWE holds an event there. Uh, there's a bunch of different sports, right? So I, I really don't think they're kind of, uh, any sport is completely clean. And that was kind of the funny part of live golf was like the PGA tour used to hold the tournament there. Some of their biggest sponsors, uh, uh, their equity is owned by their sovereign wealth fund. Right. So like there's a lot of involvement there. But I think the general way to look at it is just that these countries want um, their image cleansed or clean to the Western world. And sports are one of the easier ways to do that, because while we all think it's it's relatively expensive, uh, they probably think it's relatively cheap for the goals that they want to achieve. Right. And Saudi specifically over the last few years, uh, they're buying. They bought Newcastle United. Right. Uh, they've done live golf, which I think I wrote about it a little bit, but I think Live golf is, you know, some people are never going to like it just kind of based on what it stands for and stuff like that. But uh, I would actually consider their first year probably a, a decent success, right? Like they did what they wanted to do, which was go and get some of the world's best players and uh, bring them over and start a new tour. And they paid a lot of money to do it. I think they spent over a billion dollars in year one or committed a billion dollars to these players and, and the events. And they literally brought in no money, like no money. <laughs> they don't have a TV deal. Yeah. Uh, so their only source of revenue were ticket sales and memorabilia which for an event like live or like the PGA is, is relatively nothing. They were in most cases giving away tickets. They came into Miami and they were literally just giving away tickets. If you went online and you looked for a code, you got 100% off your ticket for live golf stop in Miami, which is, uh, you know, they're trying to get fans there and maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't, but they're going to do this for a decade, right? Their sovereign wealth fund is $600 billion. I think it's the sixth largest in the world. And they've already said that, you know, they're, they're in this for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Uh, so we'll see. I just think that it's, uh, it's a shame that like one of the world's biggest sporting events, uh, completely had to change to fulfill this, this obligation. And FIFA has always claimed, right. That they did it because they wanted to grow the game internationally in areas that had never hosted a tournament. And they wanted to get more people interested in it and go to different continents and areas and regions. And like, you could have accomplished that without doing this would be my argument. Right. And I think that uh, we've probably ventured pretty far down that road. And, and, uh, again, I would argue that that Saudi and Qatar and these, these Gulf States are are almost getting what they want with these investments now. Yeah, Joe, I, I don't want to bring the mood down, but since we're talking about the bad stuff, we'll get onto some fun again. So we don't leave it on a bad note, but you, you mentioned a little bit there about human rights issues and stuff like that. Again, I will just preface this by saying, no country is perfect, obviously, right? Like this, we, you could go down a line of questioning, which, brings every kind of sporting event in the world in any country to the nth degree if you keep questioning you can say what about this war what about xyz which i don't really fully subscribe to that but i just wanted to say that up front i do think in this case it was a lot of very clear there was a clear conflict of the values that fifa and football is supposed to be about which is about inclusivity anyone could come and play you know that's kind of why i grew up loving it you can just go to the park put two hoodies down and just start playing football with a bunch of random people. Uh, and obviously with Qatar specifically, there was a lot of you know, protests coming up into the, into the event around LGBTQIA plus rights there in that country. Obviously it's like a, a sin and uh, punishable by, uh, I guess, 
prison time or whatever uh, and also you know women's rights and stuff there uh, but specifically I wanted to talk about the worker conditions because you talked a little bit about the stadiums and how much money they spent it was you know record-breaking amounts of investment um, in your video you talked about the kafala system and how some people say that might be a de facto form of slavery. So just before I bring the whole mood down, I'm just curious to touch on that before. No, this we... is important, man. This yeah, is definitely is. something worth addressing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's, uh, you have to like almost separate some of these issues, right? Because everyone just wants to look at Qatar and say the tournament should never be held there. They're terrible people. We shouldn't do some of these things. And like, if you take the beer thing, for instance, I actually like semi understand that, right? Like if you're going to place a tournament somewhere and you uh, are going to send a bunch of people there, millions of people there, and they're going to be the host of it, like, okay, maybe you have to adapt to their culture, right? And and understand that that's not what they do and that's not how they act. Uh, beer is probably like the lesser degree of all of that because that's like uh, something that I think people can deal without for a few hours, not at the stadium. But when you talk about migrant workers, yeah, I think it was 90% of the workforce that built these stadiums. And you have to remember this is over... A decade, right? So it's 12 years from when it was awarded to when this, the tournament is being played. Uh, they had to build seven stadiums uh, and a bunch of infrastructure, obviously hotels and everything else. I think they claimed that there was uh, basically like 7,000 or more deaths. And again, data is only good as like as the root of the data and like where the data is actually coming from. So there's there's definitely been some discrepancies in this, and, and people have claimed that. Um, you know, so they basically counted anyone that died that worked on a project, even if it had nothing to do with that. So there's maybe the numbers a little bit lower, but there's certainly some work-related deaths. I think the bigger problem is that uh, the the Kafala system, or however you say it, that we reference in the video. Um, basically, these migrants are coming in. Ninety percent of the workforce, I think it was one point seven million people that worked on the project were migrants, and they have to be monitored or controlled. They call it uh, by their private employer. Right. So that means that they're looking after your visa, your legal status. Uh, and in some cases, these workers claim that they were uh, abused or their wages were withheld until they, they completed tasks and things like that. Right. So when people call it a de facto form of slavery, the general idea is that basically you were brought to a country uh, to work on a project. You can't leave or go anywhere else because your visa and your, uh, your, your, um, basically your freedom to some extent, your legal status within the country is controlled by your employer. And then they also control your wages and everything else related to that too, until you do what they say. Right. And I think that uh, the conditions are one of those things that are probably on the higher rung of that, that you can look at and say, that's not right. And that probably shouldn't be done. And maybe that's the main reason as to why they shouldn't have gotten the world cup. Um, but I think too, when you're, you know, eight years into a process that usually takes 10 to 12. And a lot of these things start coming up like they did. You're put in this weird position where it's like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? They built a lot of the stuff. Obviously the bribes and the corruption has, has taken its toll. Uh, what do you do? I think it's, it's super unfortunate and um, they, they probably will not get anything like this again, but who knows? It's uh, it's obviously too difficult to tell. No, I just want to, echo Joe's point there because you see a lot, especially on Twitter. We obviously all spend a lot of time on Twitter, people losing their mind about this, but to your point, this has literally been going on for a decade. Right. And to expect that to end like a week before the tournament, it's not going to happen. It's not just that like the entire system, the, all these rich oil wealth, Middle Eastern countries, it's not specific to Qatar, right? It's like you go to Saudi Arabia, the amount of Filipinos there, the amount of poor Indians there, right? Like this system where you have oil rich Middle Eastern nations paying and the arrangement that you described where they have, they give you your visa. You often live on their premises uh, and they can withhold your wages and the government 
really does you have zero you obviously have zero protection there's like a lot of famous cases of the filipino government trying to save like their citizens that are stuck within the system in the middle east right but if you look at it from and and this this is the sad part where and this doesn't just speak to uh the, the middle eastern situation but immigrants all anywhere that are trying to move to better their lives to think if you're Filipino and you're you're willing to go to Saudi Arabia or Qatar or you're in, from a poor part of India doing the same, think about what's pushing these people to have to go to these and work in these conditions, right? Like because the wages on offer versus what they'll get in their home country clearly is worth it for them four or five times monetarily, but it's not worth it when you see the situation they're put in. And that just the, speaks to the, how uh, shitty the situation is. The thing that I didn't uh, get or understand was when the FIFA president uh, said, you know. If if we were basing things off of regions that have done bad things, Europe did terrible things three thousand years ago. We should never, we should be apologizing for three thousand years. It's like, yeah. bro, they are literally doing this today. Yeah, <laughs> it's doing happening this today. right now. Yeah. This is not three thousand years ago, bro. This is literally happening today. Uh, so I think, yeah, like he was obviously put in somewhat of a difficult situation too. Is you know the new president, and he didn't necessarily agree to these things or uh, didn't play a huge role in them, at least. And I think uh, he's trying to probably do the best that he can, but it's like kind of embarrassing in my in my uh, opinion to some degree. Well, it's hard to believe that he didn't know that that's how the machine works, right? To get to that spot. Yeah, yeah if exactly. you're if you're the president, you're obviously uh, you didn't come in completely completely uh, blind to it. Blind, yeah. blind I think to the he's situation. worse than Sepp Blatter, man. I'm just gonna say that I think Sepp Blatter. I didn't think that would ever happen, but this dude, when he started talking about I am Qatari, I am gay, I, I was like, what the hell? Wow. I thought it was a, I thought it was like a, a deep fake or something because I was just like, this can't, <laughs> he can't be saying this. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, um, embarrassing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, thanks for sharing all that, Joe. Obviously. Uh, again, we try to keep it real and honest here. My opinion is obviously all of this is terrible. At the same time, to keep myself honest, I'm watching it. I'm watching as many games as I can. I'm like, it's being of football. played, you know? Yeah, it's being exactly. Played, We're not right? going to not so watch like, it because of. And you can't blame the players. It's being played. Exactly. I saw, I was watching the game earlier today and Mexico was playing, right? And they're playing the national anthem. And the dude is literally crying while he's singing the national anthem. Like, this shit means a lot to these guys, right? And it's cool. And it's like their dream. And you got to support them and you should watch. I don't. Definitely. Like, I saw, I follow a bunch of uh, people on Twitter, obviously. And this guy that covers Formula One, he's like, uh, what do I watch now? The season just ended, right? Formula One. He's like, what do I watch now? I'm certainly not going to watch this tournament in Qatar. And it's like, pro, literally Formula One raced and you covered and went to the race in Saudi Arabia. Like, it is the yeah, same that's shit. Hilarious. Right? Yeah. yeah, completely. And, cars running on this shit. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, I understand that people don't like <laughs> it. Running on no, it's this true, shit. right? <laughs> It's true. No, it's just it's 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 just another opportunity for the reality is for a lot of people it's just another opportunity of virtue signal and uh, yeah and exactly. We'll, yeah. Uh, we'll give an example. Of the other would part you guys of go? Trip. Would you guys go if 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 they gave you uh, expenses paid? And like, I mean, if I'm being honest, flights. I would go to Cutter if it was all paid for. Like, I, I'd yeah. watch. <laughs> like, let's, yeah. if I'm being honest, right? Press pass uh, for you, Tron. Yeah, press pass. Well, the, the, the and then here's the other yeah. part of it, right? It's like, it, it's this stuff that uh, the that Joe's kind of alluding to is like, you know, there's a, the spirit of it is a, you saw the Iranian captain yesterday speak in support of the protests that are going on in his own country. Right. It's yeah. like, they have a platform. A lot of the players, I mean, they, 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 they circled back on it, but a lot of them try to wear a pro, uh, uh, LBGQ T, uh, armband. I think that got stopped. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, that's what I mean. They're and just they're, making up the rules as they go, right? Yeah, they're, they're like, just making hey, it up. You're going to get a yellow card if you wear this band. It's like, what kind of fucking rule is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, like, and then uh, the Iranian team, they, I think they didn't sing the national anthem, kind of a protest as well. 
And then the England teams yeah. went on one knee and stuff like that. So, yeah, anyway, I think it's a... So I think if we're doing a whole episode on this, we can't need to touch on it. And uh, oh, we can absolutely. talk about some jokes in a minute. But uh, anything else on that, boys, before we move on? Um, well, let me just pin this with a, a fun fact fan about... Uh, we were talking about how like how rare it is for these to work for the countries, right? Because of how much those investments have ballooned. Uh, and then we have to remember, like, 2018... Uh, <laughs> wait, was the World Cup in Russia in 2018? Or was yeah. that the Olympics? Rio, one, yeah. uh, or was that the one before? I went to Rio... That oh, you went to Rio? You went to Rio. Oh, that's, oh, that's that must have been yeah. sick. Yeah, so, yeah, it's like the idea is if, if people are worried and, and critical of the country, just look what happened four years ago, right? And where it was held. And then even when uh, Russia had the Sochi Olympics, like the amount of corruption went, I think they spent $50 billion on a Winter Olympics. Um, the, only, the only thing I wanted to add was like, I, I looked at this topic pre- beforehand to see like when it's ever been actually profitable for the, uh, the country. And uh, aside from the intangible stuff, which all claims like, oh, you lift the profile of the country, but the actually dollar investment, like, there's just no chance Qatar is going to make a return on their $220 billion investment. Yeah, right? It's impossible. It's absolutely Yo, I impossible. Know if, I don't know if this was in the video of yours or not, but there was a guy that got sacked from FIFA that basically said it's much better to work with countries that are under like, oh, yeah. dictatorship rule because they just get shit done. He said yeah. that like, ridiculous. on the record. James Valker or something, Valkyrie or something like that. He was basically just like, yeah, it's so much easier to work when just one person can make all the decisions. <laughs> He's just like, Which, to be fair, is honest. Not wrong. He pointed to Putin. He was like, yeah, like with Putin, we just, you know, go to him he and he makes all done. the decisions. Unreal. Yeah. He's That's like, wow, dude. Yeah. If you have which, to negotiate which, every level, it sucks. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Which is like the more, the more that like they make decisions like that and work with people like that, maybe the less likely they are to go back to the, you know, let's go through 19 layers of approval in the, probably what the european system is in a lot of places you know right? it's going to be interesting too and and maybe this lightens the mood to some degree but uh the the u.s uh is getting the world cup obviously next cycle and uh it seems like a lot of people are positioning that for like a massive growth here which i think is interesting uh if you look at like just professional sports teams right if you look at the nfl nba mlb uh, mls most of those teams like if you were to go buy them as an investor trade it six times revenue the uh, uh, MLS right now trades at like 10 to 12, given the team, right? So almost double the valuation of these other teams because people are pricing in growth. And I think it makes sense to some degree, right? Like uh, the, the Premier League uh, and the Spanish League are actually more watched than MLS here in the United States currently. So maybe the MLS takes off to some degree. You could actually argue that like the MLS isn't even in the top 15 league in the world from a talent perspective. So I think there's, there's a lot of room to grow. Um, but being in the U.S., I think probably adds such a distinct advantage. If you look at all the other sports leagues, Formula One, Premier League, all of these, what are they trying to do? They're trying to come into the U.S. because it's the world's biggest economy, most lucrative sports market, et cetera. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see like how much soccer, football, whatever, actually grows in the United States after the World Cup, because it seems like a lot of people are are, are betting on that, like that it will uh, increase engagement, drive a lot of fans, MLS will blow up. Yeah, I got an anecdotal uh, experience of that. So I moved to the States in 2010, 11, and it must have been 20. Just like all of the international football tournaments. When I first moved there, I'd go to the pub. There'd be nobody in there. Be yeah. like one person at the bar watching football on TV. And then the next tournament would be a little bit busier. Yeah, by the time point. it was, I don't know, 20, I guess 2018, 2020, 
2018 it must have been it's just like you couldn't get in anywhere for like a normal like a game that the you like the states weren't playing in it just like it just seemed to tick up over that that period of time and the quality of the u.s men's team and women's team going up has not hurt that either right do you guys know what uh uh david beckham did when he came to the mls have you heard of this deal no Oh. He, uh, so he came to the MLS and, uh, I forget exactly what year it was, but it was, you know, 2006, 2007, maybe around there. And, uh, he was obviously, you know, on top of the world, one of the most famous athletes in the world played for uh, man United, Real Madrid, et cetera, married to spice girl, the whole deal. Right. Everyone loved him. And, uh, everyone thought he was a complete idiot. They're like, what is this guy doing? Why is he going to MLS? This league sucks. No one cares about it. No one watches it, whatever. This dude negotiated a deal with, uh, the LA galaxy. So they actually had to change. I think they had to change the uh, uh, the CBA at the time, the collective bargaining agreement, to allow his contract to be higher than the maximum. But it was like still, it was like seven million versus twenty million what he was earning before. So massive pay reduction. Um, but he got revenue share with the team, so he got a percentage of ticket sales, sponsorships, oh, wow. merchandise, concessions, what everything. Heck? What deal? Ended up earning two hundred and fifty million dollars over five years. So just like blew it out of the water. Wait, absolutely, two hundred plus. Yes, over five years. Just blew it out of the water. And then wait, this is the best part. As part of his deal, he negotiated with MLS, the like commissioner level, that uh, at any point in the future, he was able to buy an expansion team. I think it was for 20 or $25 million flat fee at any point in the future. And that's because oh, that's, that how much they were, that's how much they were going for at the time, right? And he retired, left, whatever. He actually went on loan a couple of times. But a decade later, he comes back launches the team in Miami. He got to pick his market also, launched it in Miami. Wow. And expansion fees were already going for like 150 million at the time. Jesus now, Christ. Now the team is worth uh, probably 600 plus. So he made half a bill on this deal. <laughs> well, well. so when he launched the team, I don't know why he did this uh, because I would have assumed he had enough money to do it himself, but he brought in a bunch of investors. Okay. Um, okay. So he, you know, I don't know how much of the team he owns today, but it's a significant portion. And he ended up making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on the deal versus what everyone thought at the time was like a $7 million contract. Yeah, Bilal, do you remember when we were growing up, he was like the meme about David Beckham was he was, he was, an, he was an idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they yeah, get yeah. him on these like late night TV shows and like take Ali the piss G. out. Oh, yeah. Ali G, G. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is yeah. one of my, that might be my favorite interview of all time. Have you seen this, Joe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why'd you, it's like, why'd you, name your, why'd you name your kid Brooklyn? Oh, you know, we conceived in Brooklyn and Ali G is like, well, I named my kid the alleyway behind Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> KFC, and KFC toilets, yeah, yeah. KFC toilets, what a legend. Wow, I didn't realize it was, that. that's a crazy deal, man. Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the best in sports, like history, because um, it was so small, I mean, relative to what he was earning before on face value, and it just had all these stipulations in it. Uh, and it was great, you know, for the MLS too, it, it really worked out. It brought out a ton of attention to the league and where the league is today, he probably deserves a decent amount of credit. But I also think uh, when you think about like Messi uh, and his career is coming to an end, I think he's probably going to go to the MLS, right? And oh, I think wow. because uh, Beckham and him have a decent relationship, it seems like he owns Miami. Miami would be pretty good for him. He already owns some real estate here um, in Miami. Can you imagine that? Wow. That Miami that's gonna... is such an amazing market for a new team as well. Like the appetite <laughs> yes, the perfect for football one. there is just like And you've got the, the South American, yeah. right. Hispanic yeah. side that already love football. It's crazy that there isn't an that's MLS so team smart, there already. Man. 
Man. Yeah, that was like the thing when not only was the price great, but the ability to pick a market, like you couldn't have picked a better one than Miami, right? It's like uh, out of what was available, it, it was a no brainer. Players want to live there. You know, like that's another thing, like oh, parts of America where it's like, yeah, you beats Manchester. Right, Portland, <laughs> or live in Portland or Miami, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I look, they can't offer that to Messi, right? It's the, the league's too big at this point, but I'm sure they'll roll up the red carpet and offer him something uh, uh, similar, equal of value. Look, you uh, can see him getting like a stupid, what's the high, is there a salary cap in MLS? And what is the highest that player's ever been paid? What they're claiming is uh, he won't get like, it'll be similar to the nature of his salary will be kind of within the cap or, you know, maybe they raise it a little bit, but it'll be within reason. Um, But they think that he's going to buy part of the team. So he'll be like a, a player owner. He'll buy a chunk of the team at at, at, a, at a very nice valuation at a at a, at a yeah, pretty yeah, decent yeah. discount. Isn't that crazy? Player owner, because it you used to be value. Jack. Do you remember in like nineties there was like John Luca Viali was the player manager. Do, yeah, I don't know if yeah, you guys yeah, remember yeah, this yeah, trunk yeah. and Joe, but there would be like a guy on the he's the manager of the team, and then in sixty fifth minute they need a goal. He's like, I'm going on, <laughs> <laughs> and he'll just be like, and he ripped the suit was off. It, and he uh, the shorts, so, um, yeah. Wasn't Rooney? Wasn't Wayne Rooney doing that somewhere? I think maybe he did. I don't I know. Forget. If, I think he was, did he ever play like a Derby County he was at, but I don't oh, know if he yeah, played, yeah, but maybe you never played, know. Yeah. He yeah. probably could be better than a lot of those players, but <laughs> Messi, def- Messi definitely could. I mean, Messi could pretty much still play in, in most big leagues, but um, I'll just say a fun fact uh, is that I went, I was born in the same hospital as David Beckham, just to let you guys nice. know. Nice. Right. Yeah. Greatness. Good East London shut kid. It, shut it out. Shut it out. What's the hospital Whip's called? Cross hospital, Leighton Stone, if okay. anyone knows. <laughs> I know uh, our guy, Chef, who listens to the pod will know that he's a Cockney geezer from East End. So, um, but yeah, and uh, also David Beckham's French teacher taught me philosophy. This is a, another fun fact. There you go. So, um, yeah, but no, pretty, pretty amazing. That, that's incredibly smart. I mean, I don't know how much of this is him and versus like the people he's around that are partnering yeah. with him. Either way, incredible smart oh, deal. Oh man, what a genius. We talked about the... Uh uh wrexham deal as well on this a couple episodes ago we, we, we have to flag one thing joe wrote a thread that was retweeted by ryan Wen- R- ryan reynolds oh, and the other owner so let's go. ping, ping him on that grin joe's grin that was the hack i i tweeted that and uh i honestly i didn't really think it was going to go like super viral it was a newsletter in the morning and sometimes i just kind of take it in like put it in a thread format and send it uh, and I didn't really think much of it. Like the newsletter was getting a decent amount of shares and, you know, I thought it was going to get decent, uh, but it's going like pretty well. And I remembered that Ryan Reynolds followed me and I'm like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to take a shot in the dark here. So I DM it to him. I'm like, Hey man, I think you'll like this. And oh. within, within oh, seconds, damn. within seconds, I don't even think he read the he fucking didn't read thread. It. Oh, I don't even think he read it. I think he just retweeted. <laughs> I think he He's just pumped it. I literally don't even <laughs> think he read it. shot. And, and I go to click, so I see him retweet it. I'm like, holy shit. So I go to click on his profile. This dude's got like 20 million followers. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, obviously the, uh, uh, the series is, you know, people love talking about it and they like the show and so forth. So it just got picked up and half the people loved it. And then half the people had a problem. And I said, they have no chance of getting in the premier league. Uh, so <laughs> so in, in this Pissed. world, it's kind of good because it drives comments and engagement. 100% and percent of the attention. Yeah. Well, yeah, hold on a second. Like, let's talk about the numbers that Joe put up here. 127,000 likes, bro. I, but the thing is, Joe, people don't understand this. Joe goes viral once a week, half a mil likes, but on a thread. <laughs> <laughs> Trung is 
creaming himself over there. I said, dude, yeah. Joe knows that they're like struggling to his going viral right now that I'm just like, oh my God, Joe. I was I'm not gonna lie. I woke up that morning, I saw the numbers. So for people that aren't on Twitter a lot, you can tell within the first hour if something's gonna go nuclear. <laughs> I was like legit jealous. There's like a little bit jealousy. Trung, in my Trung was heart. DMing me. Trung was like, Trung was like 25k, 50k, 75k, 100k. It just like every 25k. Yeah, it sounds dead. like your brother on Bitcoin was on a run, bro. That yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 69k. I haven't seen yeah. those posts recently, by the way. He, was, I told him, he does it on the way up. He's got to do it on the way down. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but I will oh, say uh, that dopamine that must have been a, that must have been a mad dopamine well, hit, dude, right? Joe's Joe? been through this game before, man. He, I yeah. think he can handle the dopamine. It, it's funny because uh, like the the Twitter threads too. It's like it's just power laws, you know. Like I had uh, that was the second one that I've had go over a hundred, and the first one uh, was was a uh, uh, soccer also story football too. related. Yes. Yeah, it was Brentford in the story. Yeah, the gambler. He bought the team and made him the Premier League, whatever. Uh, but that got like 125, 130, something like that. And I literally got, I think it was like 40 to 45,000 followers within like 48 hours. Is that and the most like, ever? Yeah, it was the most, it was, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was just insane. Right. And this one wasn't as good. It got similar number of likes, but maybe it was like 25, something, you know, still unbelievable. And it's like, how do you just figure out how to do those instead of, I was, there was a period of time when I first got on Twitter, I did a thread every single night for six months. It's like, that was probably a waste of time. And some of them got, you know, hundred likes. Some got three, four, five, no, six hundred. I, I remember like full disclosure when Joe came up, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? This motherfucker is on the, is on the come up. <laughs> and uh, I remember, uh, I'll tell you right now, the ones I remember, I, I remember you did Terry Fox because I'm Canadian. So I'm like, damn, this guy snatched his Terry Fox story. Like, I'm just asleep at the wheel here. And then the <laughs> other one that was super famous was uh, you did like the most successful NBA player ever on, from a business side, like Mr. Franchisee. Right? What, what's his oh, name? Yeah. Junior Bridgman. He, okay, Jacob uh, he owned, uh, he played, I think, uh, maybe seventies or early eighties. And he, um, he started like buying Wendy's. Well, actually he worked at a Wendy's literally during the off season. He went and worked at a Wendy's drive. And he was like, and they were like, why the fuck are you doing this? You know, you're making, he was making like 350 grand a year, which back then was great. Right. And, uh, they were like, why are you doing this? He's like, Oh, I want to learn the fast food business. And then literally he just started buying franchises. So when he retired, he had like 10 of them or so. Uh, and then he got him up to like a few hundred, you know, a few years ago. That's wild, and, man. Uh, yeah, he's he's worth you know a few hundred million dollars now, and probably one of the most successful people ever. And most people don't know who he is from an. Well, athlete. he kind of laid the uh, the other like obviously Shaq's super successful, and Jamal Mashburn apparently owes like fifty Morton Sticks houses, but like he kind of set the table for cash flowing, uh, cash flowing businesses, and it's smart for him, right? It's a yeah. no-brainer. It's, it's basically what Rick Ross did with Wingstop, but he just ate at them. He didn't actually work at any of them. He was just going every day, saying, doing yeah. his research. He's just an ambassador, <laughs> ambassador for Wings. So I'm not trying to fat shame here, but I mean, yeah, he's yeah, had yeah. a few oh, yeah, Wings in his life. Oh, you're not, dude. You're not. Editor, cut that. Um, <laughs> no, no. So, so super quickly, uh, let me do the fun fact fan on, the, I think, the most successful of these large tournaments. And then, uh, Joe, could we hit up Live uh, a little bit more than Live's side? Uh, that was a great article. But I'll just, I'll just do this quickly. So we just mentioned up top, Qatar spending $220 billion. I think their GDP is less than $200 billion, So like completely unheard of, right? Like a ratio of spend to like your actual national output. So I think the only time, and this is probably instructive, the most successful of these projects was, is widely considered Tokyo uh, Olympic Games 1964. And these are the confluence of events that made this so successful. Tokyo obviously destroyed during World War II. And 
they won the bid for the uh, 64 Olympics in 1959. But what people don't know uh, at that time, or probably forget because of how advanced Tokyo and Japan is now, is the tallest building in Japan in 1959 was 10 stories tall. Like they still hadn't recovered from the, the end of uh, World War II, just pure destruction. And they did the bid to do the Olympics. And this time though, Joe had talked about Qatar under paying for infrastructure, but a lot of it is not going anywhere, getting torn down. Japan actually used all this influx of money and uh, wherewithal to actually rebuild their entire country. So the long story short of it is, for there to be a successful international event like like uh, Tokyo, you basically have to have a complete destroyed country, but that's also using the event as a way to re-enter the global community. Because 64 was 20 years after World War II. At that time, Japan was clearly under the wing of the United States as an ally. So uh, yeah, I think it's just rare. Like it, it was such a unique event. And I think it just shines light on how difficult it is for these things to actually make sense in the end of it. And I live in Vancouver. I think our 2010 Winter Olympics actually was one of the other few ones that worked out for the city, uh, built a ton of new infrastructure that's still used today. But yeah, the TLDR is a cutter is not getting a return on their investment. Yeah. Nice. They built a uh, c- uh, cutter, uh, built a uh, subway system that uh, goes to literally every single stadium. And if you're knocking down the stadiums, I'm assuming oh that thing's pretty useless after the tournament too. Uh, and if you're building an underground Metro that goes hundreds of miles or, you know, hundred miles, basically in different directions, uh, I assume that was pretty expensive. Well, well definitely. Well, like yeah. you said, there's not going to be anything afterwards, right? Is there any idea yeah. of what they're going to do afterwards? Cause you, you kind of alluded they to claim, like- They claim that they're like knocking them down to build shopping centers and parks and, you know, the, 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 tip, the typical list of things that people claim they're going to do after they knock down stadiums. I think the Rio World Cup, that happened pretty quickly afterwards as well. They had some purpose-built stadiums that are now just like defunct. Like not yeah, if you used. look at, if you just Google like old Olympic venues, there's, you know, hundreds of them throughout the, throughout the world that are uh, basically just empty and there's weeds growing in them and they haven't been used in decades because we're, a lot of these things, there's no purpose for them afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Like there's, there's no, uh, like Katara, they don't have infrastructure or leagues or teams or people's interest to do anything in these stadiums afterwards. So you do it for the tournament and then you, you know, don't do anything with them afterwards. You know, there's, uh, uh, Lake Placid upstate oh, New York. Right. That's a good little weekend up there. They're not using all of it, but they do the, uh, the bobsled team invited me to go up to Lake Placid. You think I should do that? They're yeah, like, we'll no get out, man. It's a nice little, that's weekend incredible. They were like, we should uh, get you on a bobsled. I was like, yeah. which right, you talking that's the U.S. bobsled team? GoPro on your head, yeah. Joe. Yo, yeah. Joe's you're going to say the Jamaican one, man. I, I am not getting these invitations, <laughs> dude, man. Dude, I tweeted, I tweeted, I tweeted about the uh, the bobsled, like the angle of the wall. Have y'all ever seen that? Like, it's basically just like a flat wall that they go down, like at certain points, obviously. And it's just absurd. And the tweet went viral or whatever. And the head of like U.S. bobsledding, that's in Lake Placid messaged me or DM me and was like, would love to get you up to the facility sometime, take you on a ride. And I was like, usually those things I just like, yeah. it's like, whatever. But that wow. was one where I was like, that sounds awesome. Joe's <laughs> showing, he's like, I, I think I might take him up on this one. Yeah. I, I told her, I was like, yeah, I might have to do that uh, at some point. That Wait, was- so quick thing, uh, before we talk about live golf in Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, Jack, can you tell us some good stories from 2014 uh, uh, when you went down to Brazil? Oh man. Uh, it was a mental trip, man. So I met up with, uh, I'd, I'd been living in the States for about three years at that time. And I was meeting up with some mates of mine who'd been traveling around the world for the last like two years or something. So they're just like the loosest, 
it most idiotic blokes you ever met. Well, they're English, Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. English boys. And, and for the World and Cup too. We're staying yeah. in the biggest favela in Rio. I forget what it's called, but it's just like unbelievable, like density of people, buildings. I don't even know how. I, I can't remember how I got to the place. Um, there's no windows, no doors, nothing on the hotel. Like it was just like literally a concrete structure. That was it dangerous? In. Or did they have police patrolling everything? Oh, it was dangerous. It was dangerous. <laughs> and uh, City of God life, man. You, oh my some goodness. Wild I was working and stuff. I was like, yeah, you just sort it out and then let me know where to be. Bad idea, right? These guys, they're like, they're, they they're were on definitely, a shoestring budget. They're, right. in the, they're in the last trip of a two-year trip. They're like, their daily budget's three bucks. And yeah. it's like... Yeah. It was bad, man. Like there was a, there was a few stories. Like I, um, I lost them. We used, there was this beach zone that you watch the games in. You know, um, you probably saw it on TV. Yeah, like I saw it on TV. Big, like if and you they were showing the, the stadium, big screens or whatever. Beach, and there was like this, the huge screen on the beach. And uh, Argentina got to the final, right? And Brazil got knocked out. Brazil had a shit World Cup. They got knocked out early-ish. And Argentina were in, playing in the final. And um, there's obviously a huge rivalry between those two countries and people. And I remember like... The, the atmosphere just got so bad in the last week or so. It was like people could drive in, you know, like from Argentina, they would drive in, oh like sleep on the street in the car. Argentina and England, obviously that's not a very pretty uh, like historical relationship. So we're Falklands. walking around like 10 of us in England shirts in this like beach <laughs> zone. Absolute just, there was so many close calls, man. I mean, I can't even go into describing what it was like. I got lost a couple of times. And like trying to find a place I don't even have the address of, just walking around Rio for don't like eight speak the hours language. in the dark. Yeah, not a good yeah, look, just, man. It was, a, it was a fun trip in hindsight, but I remember like a couple moments where I was like, what am I doing here? It's legit a minor, like, a minor miracle that nothing happened, to, if you're being fully honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was like this guy in, our, in the hostel we were staying in was like holding someone at knife point in the middle of the Jesus. night. Because he stepped on him as he's like walking to the bunk Jesus bed. Jesus Christ. So I wake up and it's like, there's a guy just like in the corner of the room holding a knife to someone's neck. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was a crazy trip. What do you, Jack, what do you do during, uh, what do you do when you're not, are you just like going to bars to watch different games if you don't go to the game? Like what happens during the day at these World Cups? Uh, yeah, just, uh, we, I didn't go to any games. I was just going to that beach zone. So yeah, I didn't absolutely. Absolutely. Getting yeah. absolutely gassed. Yeah, so we just go, yeah, expensive beers on the beach for the most part, and then uh, you're sleeping for the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, we did a few little nightclubs, a few little, uh, you know. <laughs> Wait, Jack, I, it sounds like your Ibiza nights, man. I, I nah, man it was a, yeah, it was, a, it was a good trip, but I'm in, I'm, yeah. Did you feel I'm, I'm the- I'm not in uh, condition to repeat that ever again, yeah. No, Jack, so a quick question was, you mentioned Brazil, so they lost to Germany, I think in the quarter, six nothing. Did you- feel after that loss like the entire was it very evident that the entire mood of the country had changed oh, it was bad it was bad because okay. obviously like that is not like uh i mean for most countries football is like a big part of culture but not in the same way as yeah, yeah brazil and argentina brazil. it's just it's like, like cricket in india and pakistan it's like you're fighting that yeah. day you know it's, it's like yeah people yeah. get it, divorced it, it was like one of those things where it's like you might be everybody tearing the doors off past, like, for different everybody reasons. Everybody is experiencing yeah. that like distress. So They're ripping the doors off, but for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a pretty dark. It was a pretty dark few days, man. You had to take the English shirt off. 
for a while. Though. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, Trung, before we talk about Liv, I just want to ask one last question to Joe on the football side before we move on. Joe, you obviously cover a lot of US sports. You're from the US. And uh, I'm just curious to someone who, I've lived here for 10 years, but I'm still a bigger, you know, football Premier League fan than I am like NBA, NFL, etc. fan. And I'm just curious, now we've got this trend of a lot of American owners buying, um, you know, Premier League teams and, and other European teams. Like, what are some of the things you think the Premier League could be doing that is very common practice in the US and maybe vice versa? I don't know if you've got any insight into that. I think that uh, the Americans wish that they had a closed league uh, because that would make it a lot easier to get a return on their money. Um, but I think that, yeah, the, the US market is just more saturated from like a uh, consumer perspective. Like it's easier to sell merchandise, the, the dollars are higher for tickets, all that kind of stuff. Right. So uh, I think that's part of it. But when you look at the US investment in the Premier League and other places like that, the valuations are lower than most of the, uh, the the big leagues here in the United States. So if you're going to buy an NFL team, right, and some of them are going for six, seven, eight billion dollars rumored now, uh, as the principal owner, as the majority owner of the team, you have to put thirty percent down, and that's a fuck ton of money to put down if you're an individual, right? So uh, the problem with that too is you have to go find a bunch of minority owners, and as these stakes get larger and larger. Sure, it's cool to you know some of these guys are putting a million bucks, five million bucks, ten million bucks into a team but you don't really get anything. You get like some tickets and like a preferred parking spot, but you don't really get to say or do anything other than that. So I think that's probably going to like shrink over time. And what we're seeing in the U S which I think is, is pretty interesting is um, institutional investment. So the NFL is actually the only league out of the big leagues here in the United States that hasn't done it yet, but the NBA has allowed it, uh, the NHL, MLB, et cetera. They're allowing these institutional funds to come in and buy pieces of teams. So you can't like buy private the, equity, do you, yeah, private equity, okay. et cetera. So you can't buy uh, the majority stake, but you can buy a minority stake. And there's funds that are raising billions of dollars to go and do this. So there's a few on the on the NBA side specifically that have, have purchased four, five, six stakes now, uh, called 10% or less in different NBA teams. And it's great for the NBA because it, it allows the prices to continue to rise because now you have institutional money coming in and, and buying these stakes. And it's great for the institutions because... Uh, what do they want? They want places where they can lock up money for a long period of time and they know it's going to appreciate. So they're going to get their management fees every year for these uh, multi-billion dollar funds. And they're going to put it away in an illiquid asset that's going to appreciate for the next two, three, four decades, potentially. So it's kind of a win-win. Uh, the only, you know, I'd call it uh, not nearly as fun part of that is like you're institutionalizing the sports to some degree. And I think that's one of the benefits of of what's uh, happen internationally is like that hasn't really happened yet. They they kind of still keep the culture and like you guys know better than anyone, the cities and the towns, like they really care about these teams and and uh, they love it. And like things like the Super League was the perfect example. If that happened for real, like if that actually went through, how pissed were people? They were fucking furious, right? Yeah. And uh, Wait, Joe, can US you explain a bit about the Super League? I know Bilal had talked about it previously, but just a little a preamble. Yeah, some people joke in like sports business circles that the top six clubs in the Premier League are already a super league, right? Like they have bigger budgets, they have more money, they have better resources, better players, more income, et cetera. And what they wanted to do was just basically widen that a little bit. And they wanted to create a league where it was closed and the biggest teams competed and you face each other on uh, a regular basis. But the problem is, right, the, the game was born over there on the idea that anyone could play, any team could go up or down the relegation promotion system, depending on your quality of play and how good you were, right? So there are several teams that have gone up multiple levels or gone down multiple levels, depending on the investments, the resources, the quality of play, 
over several years. And I think that's like almost the most important part, I would argue, right? Like that is the beauty of, of kind of the system over there. And I actually wish that some of the US leagues had that because here in the US, you have teams that are just very obviously tanking. Like, I don't know if you guys saw during the offseason, uh, the Dolphins owner is literally supposedly offering money for losses to the head coach. <laughs> You're offering the head coach money to lose. And did they uh, get fined? Did he get fined uh, for that? Yeah. So you got, well, there was a few different things. He, he got found equivalent of like guilty for tampering with Tom Brady. Uh, which was essentially like trying to convince him under the table to come play. So there's this rumor that oh, basically SBF, but yes, well, maybe that's why Tom Brady needed to do it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, completely. Uh, no, Damn. so the rumor is that Brady was gonna like you know he retired, and the rumor is that he retired because he was gonna go be a. Uh, a player for the dolphins, but going to have like an ownership stake or front office position after retirement. So they were going to like offer him this deal. And, um, he's got connection with the owner. Uh, he went to, uh, it's Stephen Ross. Who's like the real estate magnet down here in Florida. And he went to Michigan. So they have that kind of connection and so forth. Uh, he got in trouble for that. He got fined. I think he even may have had to spend some time away from the team. Tom Brady unretired came back. So it was like this whole thing. But I think that, um, it'll be a shame, right? If the U S owners keep doing this. And, and I made a video about this previously and many people don't know this, but, uh, the premier league works on a voting system where you be, you need, you need the majority, which is 14 clubs or 14 votes to make rule changes. Um, and I believe it's over half now it's like 10 to 12 have, uh, either partially owned or fully or majority owned by American investors. So you could qu quickly see a world where 14, 15 clubs, get American interest. 51% attack, Joe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, it happens in sports too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's uh, why. So it could happen. I don't know. You know, maybe a few years away, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we, we do this five, six years away and uh, American owners are trying to make some changes. Yeah, completely. Um, Jack, talking of which, I think you wanted to ask Joe a little bit about Another sort of empire being created. So yeah, Joe, I wanted to, to do a, a little 10-minute detour on the, uh, the one-person media company and the pomp lineage. So the open the question on, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> like how you got into this and uh, the unlikely statistic that your family contains multiple one-person media empires. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, uh, I used to work at um, J.P. Morgan. But before I did that, I worked at Octagon Sports Agency, which is uh, called top four, top five uh, largest sports agencies here in the U.S. They represent Steph Curry, a bunch of other uh, athletes from different sports. And uh, I liked it. I thought I wanted to be a sports agent. I was like, this is sick. I grew up by four brothers. I watch sports all the time. Like, that's what I want to do. This looks awesome. And then I realized like, it's just a terrible job. It's really difficult to get into. You got to work for like a decade plus to just even break in. Uh, and then there's like, five to 10 people that basically control everything in the US. Uh, so I went back on that. I'm like, all right, I got this good opportunity to go up to New York City. Um, I worked at JP Morgan on the wealth management side, fixed income, essentially just trading bonds for rich people. And I was like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> um, and it was like, fine, you know, you're like making good money, living in the city, having a good time. But at the end of the day, I was like sitting next to people who are 55, 60 years old and we're doing basically the same stuff, right? You get promoted a few times, you make more money, but we're kind of sort of doing the same stuff. And I'm like, all right, I don't really want to be doing this 40 years from now. So I got to do something else. 
Um, so my brother had already been doing this on the crypto side. Um, he was, you know, tweeting, doing the newsletter, podcast, etc. I'm like, well, I can do this about sports. Like, who else is doing this really well? And I looked at the landscape and I'm like, the only really guy that's doing this is Darren Rovell. And like, I think I could probably do it better than that. Like, he's great and nice guy, but maybe, maybe there's an opportunity. Uh, so I started doing it when I was at JP Morgan, actually. I literally just started like tweeting and um writing the newsletter. And it it sucked for a while because I was waking up at like five, five thirty in the morning to write this newsletter before I got to work. And then uh I literally at some points, this is hilarious. I would like go to the bathroom and tweet. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I like couldn't uh do it while on the desk and stuff. And uh, but whatever. So it started growing, growing, growing. And I left JP Morgan and I've been doing it full time for two years. Uh, but it's funny because like now it's created this opportunity where it's like, yeah, to your point, like a one person, you know, I, I have, uh, call it like three full-time employees, uh, someone that helps out with, uh, sponsorship sales, uh, someone that helps out with like newsletter research and stuff like that. And an editor, um, but it's created this like one person platform where it's, it's, you know, doing over a billion impressions a year, uh, have an email list that has over 70,000 subscribers did 25 million views on, uh, on YouTube the previous month, right? Like you, you quickly get to this area where, uh, you do one platform, then you do another, then you do another, and it opens up a bunch of different opportunities. So, um, from an investment perspective, it's been great because now you get access to a bunch more deal flow because people want the opportunity to invest, uh, with someone who has the the opportunity to market their products and, and drastically. Shell, what are you invested in? I know you invested in lacrosse <laughs> league. Is this right? <laughs> I invest in the PLL. Yeah. I like the PLL. It's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I was just tweeting about this morning, uh, this company called AC Momentum, which goes on our previous talk. They basically take match worn shirts. So they did a deal. This is actually fascinating. They did a deal with Argentina before the world cup. Right. And they pay them a fee. I think it's probably six, seven figures. Right. And they get access to the match worn shirt of each of the players for the first half. Right. So you go in the dressing room, each player gets, a, gets multiple shirts and they usually switch but they make them switch now. So you take off your shirt, you put on the other one and the first half shirt goes to AC Memento. Uh, and then they auction them off online. Guess how much messy shirt, uh, the bid is at right now. The one, they, the one where they, they lost two, one, lost. they lost two to one, uh, this morning, Messi scored. Right? Oh my God. With Saudi dude, it's going to buy that. How much, how much is that? <laughs> it was within, it was at yeah. one, $150,000 within like two hours after the game ended. And MPS is about to come over the top 20 mil. The, he's going to own it just for three or four days, dude. Oh so my have, goodness. Uh, uh, so it's, it's cool because right. These guys all have collections. Usually they'll switch shirts or whatever. They'll give them away, whatever it is. Uh, but it's traditionally been really hard to just go buy these things on the open market. It's super fragmented. There's no, uh, mm. ability in some cases to even verify that it was a shirt that they wore, uh, et cetera. So wow. it's been, it's been cool to see that. And I think, you know, that they've done it with uh, a bunch of clubs over in Europe and, and hopefully at some point they're going to expand here in the U S and Wait, did you with. invest in this company? Yeah. Okay. What's their fee on the auction? Trying, otherwise, I wouldn't be shilling them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the shill segment. Wait, I just want to say. Uh, you I just, asked. Yeah. So, super quickly, uh, we haven't even mentioned it. Your newsletter is called Huddle Up. So, people huddle up, Joe Pompliano. Those are the things that you need to be. If don't you waste your time. Don't yeah, waste don't your waste time. You <laughs> need. But I do want to say this because I did not realize uh, that you, the, I knew that you had worked at JP Morgan. I didn't realize that you were doing both at the same time. This explains 
your original profile picture, which was Joe in a fucking suit and tie. <laughs> <laughs> Look at like me at my Google like, interview. Super buttoned up. I'm like, I'm like, yo, this is not like the energy you want to be bringing to Twitter. But that now was my that why. was my LinkedIn photo. I just transported <laughs> that shit over when I started Twitter. That's hilarious. <laughs> yo, but now you got that real slick. It looked like a leather jacket or like a bomber a- jacket on, taking on. <laughs> Took a picture on my balcony. <laughs> dude, uh, dude, I was, I was, now that I know the origin story and why you kept it like so above board, I'm crying inside, man. Well, when I left, it was actually hilarious. I told uh, uh, my boss at the time, he ran fixed income and now he runs like basically all of JP Morgan. He's a very smart guy, works really hard, like super on it, but he doesn't fuck around at all. Yeah. And when I told him this, uh, I go in his office, I'm like, hey, man, just want to let you know, like, I'm leaving. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You know, this is why. And I talked for probably like four to five minutes. And I noticed I'm like, why the fuck am I still talking? Like, <laughs> like maybe I should let him say something here. And uh, so I stopped talking. And he just looks at me. He goes, wait, so like, you're going to be a writer? <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. This guy doesn't get it at all. Like wow. he, he doesn't yeah, care. But he, he saw just... that Troy Aikman interview and he got it real quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm, playing, I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm sure he's been very supportive ever since. Oh, uh, yeah, he's been he, he yeah. again, he was supportive after that. I just thought it was funny because uh, it's still relatively new to a lot of people, right? I, I, you guys obviously understand it, but uh, to a lot of people in the traditional world, it's still tough to explain to some degree what I do and what what uh, I'm sure you guys similar like. So I did a thread and then Ron Reynolds saw it yeah. and then he yeah. retweeted it and then, then 50 DM'd million him. people saw it. <laughs> Anyways, I just, now I'm an owner in a lacrosse company. Uh, yeah. lacrosse company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, what do you have to do today? Uh, I got to do a podcast. I'm going to write a Twitter thread and then I'll probably just like send a few emails and then like, you know, we can do whatever you want. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, oh, incredible. It's fun though. You so, know, Jack Butcher, this is like, make one doll on the internet. That's the Jack Butcher mantra, right? I see it. Yeah. Man, it's good, man. You got, you just, you're killing it, Joe. We love to see it. Yeah, we love yeah, to see absolutely it. Absolutely. Yo, Joe, when, when are the Pomp Boys buying a team though? Like, uh, <laughs> when is it the NFL? If you guys will come collectively, collectively putting all your, your stuff together and you want to go guy, buy, uh, what would it be? Uh, so I'll tell you two funny stories. One guy, I, I was talking to some, uh, a guy who owns like an institutional sports fund once, and he's just, you know, talking about, he had bought, he actually used to own one of the big, or was a semi-majority owner in one of the big six clubs, like a couple decades ago. Uh, and his fund has a bunch of different clubs in Italy and elsewhere. And, and we're just talking about like kind of the, the status of these investments and where these leagues are headed, the media deals, all this stuff. And he's like, Hey Joe, I don't know if you and your brothers would be interested, but we got a, we got a good chunk of an NBA team that's going up for sale. And I'm like, Dude, we ain't got anywhere fucking close to that. <laughs> Especially in this bad no, market, you, bro. Dude, you mean... gotta do the you gotta do the usher, the the, the point one point zero one yeah. percent of the Cleveland dude. When the when the when uh, LeBron uh, came back three one in twenty sixteen against the Warriors and they're celebrating, I saw Usher with the goggles, champagne. I'm like, what is Usher doing here? Usher, usher was like a point one percent owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. Like, get out Incredible. of here, Usher. Uh, you can put it in your Twitter bio, though, man. Yeah, that's that's all that matters. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, uh, Jay Z had the same. I think he had a pretty yeah, small stake in. Yeah, the next deal. The was probably small. Chamath. I don't know how big Chamath well, deal was, but. Well, the Jay Z. If you're talking it, about a little sports are, washing, uh, Brotman, they had uh, they had one of the big uh, oligarchs owning that team before, right? The uh, uh, the Chamath thing is interesting. If I remember mm. correctly, he did a thread on it. I don't. You yeah. know, we're talking about threads, but he he legit did a thread on it a while ago. 
Uh, and if I remember correctly, he basically like lucked into that to some degree. He was uh, trying Peter to buy. Peter like, told him to do it, right? He's like, hey, you should buy it. He was trying to do the Kings and he was playing poker or like, who's the guy that plays poker that he's friends with? Uh, I want to oh, say like oh, Daniel. Oh, uh, oh, Phil Helmuth. Oh. oh, Phil Helmuth. Yeah, that's who it was. And he was like hanging out with him and the guys buying the team were like, hey, if you want to buy a piece, like we got you. And he put like, you know, 10, 20 million bucks into it. And it was probably one of his best performing investments ever. And it was just like simply for diversification. He didn't want to have all his bags in his fund uh all his uh all his bags in his fund yeah which i think is uh was probably a pretty smart play on his end <laughs> so you're not ready to buy it yet because i know everyone's been hit a little bad but let's say 10 years from now if you down, guys boys the market bitcoin, bitcoin 500,000, then we're talking yeah when we when we hit 500k what what's the team is there a team you guys want to go after the Got Giants probably. Uh, they'll probably be too expensive at that point. But if Bitcoin hits 500K, I'm definitely buying something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Perfect. Uh, All right. I, uh, Wait, actually, uh, uh, I do have one more question for Joe regarding the team. Joe, what will be, if you went a free market right now, would the Lakers, the Yankees, or top, top tier, would this over 10 bill? If somebody put the Lakers on the market yeah. right Easily, I think, right? uh, uh, so like all these services like Forbes, Sportico, et cetera, they do these valuations and it's strictly based off of how much is the real estate worth on a multiple, how much is the, the cash flow from the team worth on a multiple, similarly how you would do it. But the thing is, if you look at, um, if you look at like the Cowboys, you almost can't price that. You know what I mean? Like they do so much more revenue than anyone else. They, they run the league from like a, a mind share standpoint, they're America's team, right? They have the whole Mexico market. They're growing really fast and like, they're never going to be put up for sale. So when that comes up, you're going to have to overbid. I think, uh, you know, what's funny is the commanders, Washington's up for sale right now, or they're going uh, up right. for sale supposedly. And there's claims that Bezos is going to buy them. He's like trying to team up with a bunch of different people to buy them. Not that he needs a cash, but supposedly Dan Snyder hates him and won't sell to him alone, uh, <laughs> which is just comical because uh, he hates the Washington Post. Yeah. But they're they're claiming that that could go for like eight, nine billion. Oh my goodness. Uh, because you have to buy the team and then you have to build a new stadium. And the city's already said they're not going to pay for it. So you have to put another billion, one and a half into a stadium. And the final bill is going to be somewhere around like eight, nine billion. And that's like Washington commanders who like no one even really cares about. Yeah, sure, it's a great market, but it's not the Lakers, it's not Dallas, it's not New York. And those big teams get, you know, a multiple of all of that just because of the market they're in. I think though, like if I had to, I asked this question on Twitter a while ago, if you had to look at any of the leagues, if you could buy a team in the NFL, the NBA, NHL, et cetera, like where would you put your money? And I think the answer for me is probably NBA uh, because the game's global, right? And you have so much more international growth. They have a, they have a new media rights deal that's coming up in a few years, which should multiply the valuations we're seeing today. Um, but like the NFL, they've actually struggled to grow internationally because if you guys grow up in, in the UK or somewhere, right, you don't play the game. You don't know how it's played. Maybe you've tossed the football before at like a parking lot or like a tailgate, yeah, yeah. but you no, don't not play even. Honestly, growing up, I got the noodle yeah. arm, man. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Somebody throws me the ball, I'm like underhanding it. Like, yeah, Look like man. Drake in that. Uh, have you ever watched the video of Drake at the baseball when he throws the baseball? <laughs> Uh, and no, he's, I, he's talking big game like he knows what he's doing he gets up and he's so bad no the funniest trick is when he airballed uh he's with a he had a he had the kentucky warm-up on during the march madness uh, yeah. goes on the court airballs a jump shot incredible like, oh my goodness oh yeah. my goodness all right I, uh, what we're going I, to jump uh, 
No, I was just going to say, I think uh, he should probably stay off the court for a bit. He's got he's got his own court, though, in his house. I don't know if you guys have seen that, which looks pretty damn nice. I've seen him play yeah, with Bieber, crazy. man. He's actually, listen, when nobody's guarding him, he's he's nice, man. He's nice with it. <laughs> Yo, the shade. When no one's guarding him, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, all like right, that. Joe, did, Trunk, did you want to talk about Liv or uh, was uh, it Liv? Joe, did you, do you think you covered enough on the Liv earlier? Is there anything else to add about that? Uh what is there to add about live? They're spending a shit ton of money. They're trying to uh, compete with the PGA tour. And uh, my bold prediction is that they're going to go after tennis next. You guys know how tennis works. Tennis, like the no. money. Uh, there's only like 50 to hundred to maybe 150 people that actually make money playing tennis. And there's thousands of professional tennis players. Most of them, uh, the large percentage of them lose money because it's so expensive to travel to tournaments, your coaches, everyone else. And uh, it's really only the top guys that are making and females that are making money. So I think it's like perfect for a live model where it's international, it's global. Uh, you have the opportunity to overpay for people to come commit to your league and your sport. And really, when you watch a tennis tournament, you only want to watch the top 10, 20 players anyways. So if you can get them all to play in the same tournaments and basically make 10 to 12 you know, uh, majors or whatever equivalent, then I think that's probably pretty useful. Uh, the interesting thing is going to be like, does live ever make money? They, they don't make any money now. The TV uh, things here in the US haven't committed to them and the viewership isn't very good. The average tournament on their YouTube and, and website this year averaged 20 or 67,000 viewers, uh, which is like- What's average take, for like, what, like well, how many people watch the Masters as an example? Like the millions, like millions. It could, yeah. yeah, it could be any, I mean, the Masters is an extreme obviously, but it could be uh, the Masters are anywhere from like eight to 15 million, 20 million, depending on kind of the, the popularity of it, if Tiger's playing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, look, they, they got to figure out a way to do it somehow. And the thing I liken it to, to some degree is when Trump, so, uh, Trump owned a USFL team back in the day. Uh, I think it was the New Jersey generals, right? He had an opportunity to buy the Cowboys. He said, screw that. They didn't want him in. So he went and bought the New Jersey generals, which was like the worst trade of all time. Just the worst trade of all time. Really. He buys the, he buys the New Jersey generals and he tells uh, the owners, the league, he'd owned the team for like two or three years, I think. And the league was like growing. Uh, they played in the spring versus the fall. And Trump comes in with this grand idea. He's like, we need to move the, the season from the spring to the fall. And we got to compete directly with the NFL. Like, we got to beat the NFL at their own game. We got to be better than them. This is when people watch football, like they'll watch our games instead. And he convinces a bunch of the other owners that this is a good idea. They say our fourth season is going to be in the fall, not the spring. Uh, their TV partners all drop them. <laughs> they literally all drop them because they're like, dude, this is, this is, we have non-competes with the NFL. We can't do this. Like we're, we're playing NFL games. We're not going to cannibalize our own business to like broadcast your games. Uh, so then they, they're like, oh, fuck this. So Trump sues the, the USFL sued the NFL for $1.2 billion in damages. And the argument was that um, if they can't get a TV deal in the fall because of the NFL, then the NFL is a monopoly. And the jury actually agreed with Trump in the USFL and uh, awarded them $1 in damages. <laughs> just, just performative, right? That's incredible. That's Literally, he, he agreed and, he gave, and they gave him $1 in damages. Uh, for the lawsuit, and then the league, the USFL, literally folded the next year. <laughs> so it's like unreal. That's like kind of where it gets interesting with the with live is can you get those TV deals, and are those networks willing to either anger the PGA or give up PGA deals to do it? Because it's uh, the same networks that are that are doing uh, that would do both. So I think that's to come, and, and we'll see what happens. Um, 
but you, you you're dealing with people who don't give a shit, right? They don't care who they upset, and they have a bottomless pit of money, which is uh, probably two of the most dangerous things that uh, yeah. they have to offer. That's Joe, how you end I... up paying two and twenty billion for the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just one quick um, follow up question to that: When do you think, if ever, someone like a YouTube would just say we're going to own live? sports or like for a particular sport because to me it seems like an obvious thing that could work and now you know like 10 years ago i thought that but now with more people connected to you know um internet on their tvs what they call connected tvs or whatever and like streaming devices like apple tv chromecast etc like i wish all of them were just on there and i was able just to to watch it on there but i'm just curious like do you think that would ever happen yeah, I, I think uh, we're already seeing it to some degree, right? If you look at Amazon Prime, Amazon, they're doing uh, Thursday Night Football for the NFL. They just agreed, which was fucking genius. They just uh, announced a deal with the NFL to do the first ever Black Friday deal, uh, the Black Friday game. So next year, the NFL is going to host its first ever game on Black Friday. And Amazon is the exclusive provider of it. So not only, are you, uh, not only is it like a massive game and a massive day to get people to watch sports in NFL... But what do people normally do on Black Friday? They go shopping at retail stores. So now they're going to sit at home, uh, at least a, a decent, you know, Ooh, call it 10 yeah. to 20 million people sit at home and hopefully do some shopping on Amazon. Right. So I Damn, think, uh, and, and you look at Thursday night football, I think their first Thursday night football game was the the most, uh, the largest three hour period of signups for Amazon prime in Amazon history. So it's like an easy way to get people into your funnel and how, and what are the stats about Amazon? I don't know. Right. Like they spend X amount more than normal customers on Amazon. If you're a prime member, uh, you yeah. do a certain amount of shopping, et cetera. Right. So it's like very important for them to get prime members. And then if you look at the games, it's all just Amazon ads. They're literally doing their, their like speakers, they're doing all these other things and they're just trying to sell you Amazon products throughout. So I think if it, you know, if it works from a ROI perspective, they're just going to keep doing it. And if Bezos is interested in the NFL, then he's probably going to get more aggressive and maybe they do the NBA or other games too. Uh, but there's other competitors, right? There's Netflix, there's YouTube and everyone else. Apple TV is doing MLB. Uh, Apple is obviously doing MLS. Now they have exclusive rights to MLS. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting actually was Netflix said that the, the whole thing I didn't get with them was uh, with Formula One, they literally gave ESPN the rights to Formula One a while ago because they were trying to grow the sport in the US and no one was willing to pay for it. So they're like, let's go to the largest provider. We'll give it to them for free. You guys can make money on ads, everything else like that. Just show every race on, on your channel. And they did that. And it worked great. They went from paying no money to 5 million bucks a year to like 15. And now they're paying 75 million a year. So it's like very good from an ROI perspective, but more importantly, the fan base has grown. So the one thing that I always questioned was like, if Netflix drove majority of that growth through Drive to Survive in the US why wouldn't you just figure out a way to get those rights yourself? They're relatively cheap compared to the amount of content that you're spending anyways on... on All right, uh, like 25 bill a year, right? 20 you're spending a year. ridiculous amount of money on original content. Why wouldn't you just get an asset that you can combine with your show that you already know is popular, right? You have all the data on that. You know how many people are watching it and you can kind of back into how popular the rights will be and how much money you can make off of that. And now it comes out that Netflix has actually looked at buying leagues. They, they were looking at like the World Surf League and this is obviously a smaller scale than the big leagues. Uh, but how do you own these things rather than rent? And I think that'll be an interesting kind of caveat to all of this too, is like, why do you want to pay a billion dollars a year to get access to a few Thursday night football games when you could just go buy, you know, a smaller soccer league or, or, or a lower mm -hmm. level league that has similar interest, uh, but you actually own, right. And you can own the commerce, you can own everything on top of that. I think that's 
uh, probably a trend that'll pop up over time too. Jack's eyes like, are lighting up there. Go on, Jack. Does it feel like, yeah, the Amazon, the position Amazon are in is just crazy from like a uh, commerce intelligence point of view too. Like Netflix would have to build an ad platform to get it as sophisticated as Amazon to understand at the level of detail that Amazon understands a person is bananas. Like what they can I, put I, in front of you. Yeah, I imagine that the the broadcasting is difficult too, right? Like that's not something you can just turn on overnight if you're Netflix. I, I imagine that it's pretty difficult to set up where you know everything's done in real time. It's expensive uh, for sure, depending on kind of how much you're investing in it. But um, I, I would guess that that's probably a prohibiting factor too. Of like, it yeah. probably takes them a few years to figure all that out if they've never done any live broadcasting. What was the, what was the feedback actually for the first game? Do you guys remember the? So Joe, you've been following this. What, what's the feedback been for Amazon's uh, broadcasting? It's fine. Like they they invested a shit ton of money into it, right? They went and hired broadcasters. They went and, and dished out money to people who were already in the sport, right? So like from that perspective, it's good. I think there was probably some latency issues with the first couple, but it's gotten better over time. Um, I think the thing is that it's it's diminishing returns to some degree, right? Because the first game, you're going to get a bunch of people who don't have Amazon Prime that love the uh, NFL and you yeah. sign up. And then after that, it's like, okay, maybe you get some trickle down of people who either haven't done it yet or they only want to watch their team, et cetera. Uh, but when it gets to year two, three, four, five, you know, it's not nearly as much of a mover as it was probably previously. Um, I think the interesting part will, will be to see on the data side, how many people maintain Prime and what their spending habits are like on the backside of that. And then you can back into kind of the return on this, but I imagine they're probably pretty happy with how it's gone so far. If they're if they're releasing press releases of how many client or how many signups they've gotten, right? They're, they're, you know what Amazon uh, should do if you're going to be live streaming football games, you should build a cloud service or something like that. If I was Amazon, <laughs> I would build a cloud He's onto business. Something there. Yeah, so just uh, uh, Andy Jassy. Something I figure. Oh. I figure that they're going to build a sports betting, uh, a sports book, yeah. because all those Fair guys enough. like to do is is spend a shit ton of money and then uh, hope it pays off in a few years. And who can do that better than Amazon? So I was just, yeah, I was just going to ask about Barstool because didn't they just do like uh, their first broadcast thing? Didn't they get Portnoy commentating on it? Was that a college game or something? I only saw yeah, a couple college of basketball. College basketball. Yeah, that's a crazy, uh, like that feels to me like it's coming at it from the other side. This is like the personality driven media company. Barstool. Well, I think that's part of it too. If you look at uh, where we are today, so I did the interview with Troy. Troy Aikman gets paid $18 million a year to broadcast one football game a week, literally. And, and this, Unbelievable. And the season is only, you know, it's not the whole year. It's only a certain number of weeks, right? So he, he flies into a city, normally on a private jet, lands, goes and does the game, flies out after, and he gets paid $18 million a, a year, right? And some of that, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, that people don't see. He studies during the week. He has to know all the players. He's got to know the game plans. You know, there's a bunch of homework, but my point being, uh, ESPN and all these networks are investing a shit ton of money into this stuff because they know it's important. But I would argue at some point, uh, all of that's going to be democratized. Right. And like, people are just going to listen to who they want. If you guys are great at broadcasting something like you're just going to go have an audience and people are going to listen to you do it. Everyone's going to be able to watch the, the, the game and have right to access and all this stuff. And why would I listen to Troy Aikman if I don't love Troy Aikman, right? If he doesn't post on social media and I don't feel connected to him or I don't feel part of his community, why don't I go listen to someone else that I do like? And I think uh, that will probably happen over time. It's just a matter of, you know, how long it ends up taking. But Barstool is a good example because they already have that audience and, and they're bringing people's attention to a game that people usually wouldn't care about. 
Well, Joe, you know, the number one example probably is Pat McAfee, right? Like, you know, Pat, oh, yeah. and like, could you yeah. talk through a bit about what Pat's done? Uh, uh, we probably pin he's, it on He's built a massive business, <laughs> like a huge Former business. Former NFL right? player, spent a year yeah. at Barstool kind of interning. Well, I wouldn't say interning, but learning the ropes, right? Oh, that's cool. And yeah. Uh, so he like, he, he's an entrepreneur, right? He left football and everyone thought he was crazy because he was leaving millions of He actually still had a contract and he retired. It wasn't like he was a free agent. So he gave, uh, basically, you know, money was in his pocket, but he gave the rest of the contract back. Then he left and, uh, he wanted to do some of this stuff on social media. He started working at Barstool, uh, set up his own office in Indiana, eventually left there. Now he has, uh, the show, Pat McAfee show. They live stream for a few hours a day. He gets anywhere from like maybe on the low end now, 30,000 concurrence live watching every day for three hours, uh, on the high end, a hundred thousand, right? So it's like full, a massive full life. That's crazy numbers. That's right? crazy, dude. It's crazy numbers. And now he's got this $30, $40 million deal with FanDuel. He's got a bunch of other sponsors, right? And that's per year. And uh, he's built this huge business out of it. And he's got this attention and it's all around the NFL. And I think uh, he's the perfect example of like how you can, you know, he's not a one person media company, but he's got this audience now that he's built on a platform that has uh, unlimited distribution, right? It's an open network versus cable where Stephen A. Smith will get paid uh, $12 million a year, but he works like crazy. He does like 50 shows a day and he's on a closed network where at most, you know, a couple hundred thousand people are watching during a day. And Pat McAfee's built this thing that he owns completely 100% of, uh, and it's an open network. So he has access to people all over the world and they can tune in every single day and listen to him. And I think it's uh, it's a sign of, of things to come. Love it. Joe, thanks for coming on, mate. I just wanted to wrap up here with one last question for everyone. We'll do a quick around the horn. Who's winning the World Cup predictions? And uh, if you've got a bonus, if you know enough, um, that was mainly for Trunk because I know you said you didn't watch all the games and stuff, but is there a player of the tournament that you think will uh, hit it? So team and player of the tournament. Let's start with Joe. Um, I would say my... I really wanted Argentina to win uh, with storyline being Messi's last World Cup. Uh, but after today, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but my head was telling me Brazil, right? So I think uh, Brazil will probably win. I, I think they were unbeaten in the lead up to all of this. So uh, they're obviously playing really well. But let's say, let's say, that's my dog. Uh, let's say Argentina with Messi player of the tournament. Love okay. it. I like that. Trung, you got one? Jack, we'll come to Jack, you. Let's let, go, Trung. Let's go to Jack uh, below. Oh, go well, I got to pump my own bags here. I'm yeah, right. of course. So here you go. Here you England. Go. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to go Saka, player of the tournament. There we go. <laughs> wow. I like that. I like that. I mean, he started off well. Young Two gun. goals. Yeah. He's in Young the, gunner. He's, he's, he's on the podium right now, but there's a long way to go. No, no. That's a good. That's not a bad shout. You guys Trung, know I'm you, an Arsenal fan too, right? Are you, are you actually? I did not know that. I did not know that. That's great. Now, our uh, my, my video editor is an Arsenal fan, Arsenal supporter. Good uh, man. And I, uh, as uh, as uh, part of our uh, our friendship, I watched the All or Nothing series on Amazon. Oh, incredible. And, uh, yeah. I didn't have a team, so I said, I'm all in on the Gunners. <laughs> good, you're the good luck charm we needed, man. It's a good year. Well, this is my first year, so fans. things are going well. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's all downhill from here because this is the best. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's, it's as good as it's been for maybe 15, 20 years, so. Uh, good season, Trunk. Do you, you have one, or do you want me to go first? Uh, no, hey, I'll do. Uh, for well, first, I want to say shout out to CJ, uh, uh, a a uh, 
NIA fan that I bumped into while drinking on Saturday in Vancouver. There we go. He actually knows Joe Pomp too. He's like, oh man, I love Twitter. Uh, man, you, like guys like you and Joe Pompliano do that. I'm like, Joe's coming on the pod on Tuesday, man. There we so go. So shout out to CJ. Um, uh, total ba- bandwagon fan. So that was uh, that's another nickname for Trung. Fun fact, fan bandwagon fan. Yeah, I was a Brazil. I was a Brazil. <laughs> Listen, I'm Vietnamese Canadian, man. Like we don't have very many choices. Let me pick a bandwagon. So I remember watching '94 uh, World Cup. I was nine years old, and uh, that was in the United States. And I do remember watching that. I'm like, oh, Brazil's winning this one. I'm just, I'm just gonna roll with this team. And then obviously lose '98, won again 2002. But I would like to see Brazil win. It's been two decades, and if they win, probably Neymar will be the player of the tournament. Yeah, that's not a bad shit. I think Brazil probably will win, but I'll go. I, I, my my head, my heart is saying England, obviously as well, with Saka being my man as well. But outside of that, I would say Brazil probably favorites, but France always seem to do well. I do not I think, want France to win, man. Yeah. Like this is it might be a real thing. I just do not want them to win. Man. Yeah, <laughs> I do yeah. Not like France. Benzema, I think, got injured, so that's going to be a, a big hit to them. And uh, but if they do, I have a feeling young gunner William Saliba could be undercover player the talk because his form has been insane. No one's expecting it. He might not even play to be fair. But if he does, I think he'll he'll boss it. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely say England to wrap it up. But if Wait, not, the last, my... the, I got I have a last question to Go wrap on. it up. Uh, do we have expectations for the U.S. here? What are what are our expectations? <laughs> Maybe to the next round, but that's <laughs> that's about it. I mean. It was looking a little tough. What was the score yesterday? It was wow. um, one yeah, one. That's a tough one. Well, yeah, Gary Bill, right? The, from Wales, uh, the the legend, Prince of Wales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the game. Um, it's crazy. He's awesome, still playing. He's still Unreal, running around. guys. Joe, right. thank you, man. That was amazing. Happy Thanksgiving to all the Americans. I know this comes out tomorrow and everybody's going to... And Joe was kind enough. I know he's traveling for Thanksgiving weekend a week. So thanks for coming on, man. Chill and I at the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> yeah. Sure pump some subscribers. <laughs> No, yeah, don't go. be pumping any assets this year. Just pump the pod. We're yeah, free. Yeah. We're Not free investment forever. advice is the recommendation <laughs> this year. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe. Thanks for coming on, mate. Say hello to uh, to your brother and Polina and everyone yeah, from us as well. That was amazing, man. I and, will. Uh, Thank you, guys. This was awesome. Yeah, we'll have to do this again. Cheers, man. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.